Hello, hello. Welcome to the Making a Marketer podcast, the show for all levels of experience with the best guests in the industry. Get ready to learn and laugh. Here we go. Hello, Facebook world. We'll give everyone a minute to, to get online. Hi, Alex. How's it going? Good. Good. It's already happy hour here. It's always happy hour in San Diego. So I don't know. That's true. <laughs> or in my life or something. I don't know. <laughs> so we'll give everyone a minute to get on. There's a little delay with, with Facebook too. So today we are talking crisis communications in general, but how marketing really holds a responsibility for for execution on a lot of that. You know, it's interesting when I got my master's in communication, This that's what really brought to light for me who owns the different pieces of how an entire organization will communicate out to not just to its own employees, but to the world, depending on what the brand is. And so we're going to dig into that a little bit. It's something more and more that's becoming more and more important. And I mean, technically not, it shouldn't be more and more important, but because of everything going on in the world, I think it's making us think about it more and what, you know, what would you do? And I do find myself in situations when I'm like, you know, at a concert or whatnot, you know, I find myself thinking, what would I do if something, if there was an open shooter situation or it doesn't have to be an open shooter situation, right? It could be tornado or, you know, whatever. I mean, it's, it's any number of things that, that we could be addressing. So I am Megan Powers and my company is Powers of Marketing. And this is a live broadcast for Making a Marketer, episode 31. And um, it's been a minute since I've done a live show. So I'm excited to get back on Facebook Live and to welcome Alex Plaxon, who's been on the show a few times before. Alex, will you tell our uh, listeners and viewers about yourself? Yeah. So my name is Alex Plaxon. I have a company called Little Bird Told Media, specialize in digital communications consulting for the events industry specifically, but also a lot of companies within the events industry. So mainly conferences, events, trade shows um, is what I do is I build a digital communication strategy. And in the last year and a half, a big part of that has become crisis communications. We'll dig into why here in a sec. So somebody who commented on the announcement of this broadcast said, this is something we need to be thinking about more and more. And I, and it's something that people have sort of like pushed to the side, like, oh yeah, that's, that's something we need to do. And so I thought this would be a good topic for today. And, and one of my comments back to one of those people was absolutely you're unlikely to get a positive result if you haven't planned for it. So what would you say, Alex, is the number one tip for putting together a solid crisis communication plan? Yeah, you know, one, doing it. <laughs> uh, you know, I speak about this a lot. And one of the things I ask is typically who is in charge of your social media and your communications on a day-to-day basis, but also at your events. And then I ask, you know, is that person aware that crisis communications is part of their job? And maybe a third of the hands in the room go up. And the third question I ask is, okay, great. Are they trained in crisis communications? And you might get in a room of 100 people, two or three hands that are still up. And so it kind of terrifies me a bit that every place that I go, if there was to be a crisis, that there is no plan in place for how to communicate with 
the stakeholders, attendees, your members, your customers, etc. And I go to a lot of events. I speak at a lot of events. And you'd be surprised, even the events that I speak at, I ask them, I say, can I see your crisis communications plan? Because that's what I'm speaking on at that event. They're like, oh, we don't have one. I'm like, you understand how important this is and you don't even have one. But the number one tip, I think, is starting at the foundation and building a good, strong foundation with the rest of your team and your company. I think it's a step that's often forgotten because it takes everyone coming together. Your CEO, your head PR, your if you have legal counsel, your legal counsel, and then the head of every department really needs to come together and do a vulnerability audit. Because if you don't know what the potential risks are at your event, it's really hard to create a crisis communications plan without that knowledge. It's just too broad. It's an overwhelming task. And that's why you get some organizations that have crisis communications plan where it's just not even a good crisis communications plan because they haven't taken that first step. Right. Yeah. As Shannon said, scary, but I get it. And I see even it just, it could be the smallest thing for your guests, at least to have something in, in the program, in the app, the, like a, where do you go if something could happen? You know, like I said, I was like in the middle of a field, a festival where I knew we weren't going to encounter the same thing that they did in Vegas because there was no high tile buildings around us. But at the same time, I was like, I making a plan for myself. Where would I go? Mm -hmm. So Shannon wants to hear a little bit more about the uh, vulnerability audit. Can you just talk high level on like some things that are, that are in. So typically it's getting the crisis communications team together and then brainstorming what the potential vulnerabilities of your event are or of your company in general. And typically I break those down into 10 different categories of crisis. And you can Google that. that That's not hard. But typically when you ask someone to brainstorm what can go wrong without those kind of micro categories of what can go wrong, it's just an overwhelming task and people don't know where to start. But after you brainstorm all the things that can go wrong, rating them and giving them a risk rating, essentially, of um, what are the consequences if this actually does happen and how likely is this to happen? That way you can prepare for, okay, well, this is probably low risk. This probably isn't going to happen. So we'll be prepared with, with some kind of holding statement or something, but this isn't something we really need to be concerned about high level. But those really extreme risks and those high risk areas that way you can prepare specifically for them if they were to happen at your event. For example, protesters, right? If you're a controversial organization, you always expect to have protesters. And that is something that can lead to big consequences for your event and also is likely to happen. That's something that you can prepare for specifically for your organization and your event. That would require you to probably plan on like being in touch with the local police department, having extra security. So then that's going to touch your budget too. So there's a trickle down. If, if you don't think crisis communications has anything to do with money or your brand, the potential for your event to even happen in the future, you're wrong. A crisis communications plan is essentially an insurance policy. Right. But even actually bigger than that, it's not just going to pay the bill. It's steps to prevent things from happening potentially it's absolutely preventative as well part of doing the vulnerability audit actually helps you potentially prevent these things from happening as well which is why i really call it the foundation of your plan because it's actually going to help you 
in other areas too. Right. For sure. Thanks, Shannon. Those were great questions. So you are currently teaching a certificate course through MPI on crisis communications. Can you briefly tell us, you know, what, what sparked the creation of the course and how long is it and all that kind of good stuff? Yeah. So I've been talking about social media and digital communications in the events industry for about three years now, but about a year and four months ago when the Las Vegas shooting happened at the Route 91 Harvest Festival, I was awake at the time because I'm always up late and I was watching and I was waiting for some kind of response from the social media team and there just wasn't one. And I waited and waited the next day. I waited and I waited And it wasn't until 24 hours later that they deleted every single thing on their social media feeds, everything on their website, and posted up a very legalese statement, which I'm sure was approved by a million people before it went up. And that's all that's ever existed since. And I realized that, you know, this is not something we talk about in this industry. It's not even something we talk about in the marketing world in general is, okay, who's responsible for this? And are they prepared? And is that their plan? And is that the best plan that they could potentially have? Because if you know who planned that festival, I'm sure I'm sure that was their plan was to, you know, wait 24 hours. But in this day and age, you can't wait 24 hours. You're yeah, just- well, I mean, sorry to interrupt, but yeah. just not just for PR purposes, but as an outlet to let every loved one who had somebody there for anything like boots on the ground, granted, they were, I'm sure, in a panic. But my guess is they had they had no real plan in place. Otherwise, they would have or like you say, they were just kind of like covering themselves. But for sure, it should have been in a plan that at least at a minimum, they were had someone giving information about something. I, I, I call it duty of care, right? It's duty of care for your attendees, your customers, and, and their families, friends, loved ones, etc. You have a responsibility. It's one of the reasons why I suggest that anyone in a marketing position also takes customer service uh, training. Because in a crisis situation, the likelihood that you're also going to be serving as a customer service outlet is very high. And there has to be a level of empathy in a crisis situation. So that incident kind of catapulted me into this very deep, deep research into, okay, what's out there? What exists? What can I be teaching people? How can I be teaching people? And it developed into a six-hour course that I developed and MPI heard about it. I had already done a beta version of it and I told MPI about it and they were like, this is exactly the content we're looking for. And so we developed a partnership where I've been presenting this content now. I've presented it twice and I've got two more scheduled right now. It's a six hour certificate course, basically walking you through the entire process of creating a crisis communications plan. And then the last part of it is actually doing a real time exercise, which it's kind of like a proud papa moment for me because <laughs> watching them actually go through the process. And obviously it's an exaggerated process. We're doing this in an hour versus, you know, a full day of an actual crisis happening. But I throw a lot of things at them and the way that they handle them and make these quick decisions because they've made a plan and they know the plan, it's it's just like brings a smile to my face because that's how it always should be. That's very cool. All right. So what's the one thing that has surprised you the most? You might have already said it about the people in your in the courses that you're teaching. 
Yeah, so what surprises me the most about the people in the course is that a lot of them would not be the ones who implement the plan. A lot of them are the event coordinators, or a lot of them are even third-party planners who are looking to create these plans for their clients, crisis communication plans for their clients. And at the end of the day, they're not even the ones executing it, but they understand the importance of it. And they know that if they don't do it, their client's not going to, or their communications department hasn't done it. So for me, that's, that's kind of exciting because it's not just one person's job. We right. have to understand that this is a team effort. Um, you can't just take one person in your in your organization and say, okay, we need a crisis communications plan. Uh, can you take this week and make one? It's just you can't just have that one perspective and not just one person is going to know how to handle every situation. So it really is a team effort. And so it's nice to see that. Well, not just that, but then it's like a web, right? If you're teaching people who are teaching other people or who are who are sharing the importance of it with a wider range of brands and clients, then that's overall, that's going to be better for the industry, for the world, really. Yeah. I love it when a plan comes together, but you got to have, you got to have the plan. So, and I'm guessing this is a separate, this is a separate answer, but it's another, what's the number one question? What's the number one misconception about the role that marketing plays in being prepared for a crisis? That it's not their job. (laughs) Um, you know, for a marketer to be doing something in the moment, very visceral, like communicating customer service and information and things like that, it's kind of a, if they're not trained in it, or they've never done exercises or anything like that, it can be a scary prospect. That's a lot of weight on your shoulders. It's another reason why it's so important to be prepared. Because in the moment, the adrenaline's rushing. And if you have never practiced these tactics that go into crisis communications before, I can understand how it is overwhelming. And it's something that you do not want to do. How you're like, cool, well, we can do this in 24 hours, right? We don't need to respond right now, because you don't want to. Um, That's a human characteristic. When you're in something that is scary and adrenaline, and you think that you know, if you don't respond the right way, someone could get hurt or someone could get in trouble. Like, it's just really important that you're trained and you practice these tactics. Well, and again, going to the importance of the advanced plan is getting on the same page with legal, because I think that's part of what holds marketers up mm-hmm. is that the not having the what they feel is the like the right or the like that sort of open avenue to respond in a proper way. They're you know afraid they might get in trouble or like the, they might get the company in trouble or whatever. But yeah, again, going back to the plan, having the plan and having everyone buy in, right? It's not just, you're not creating it in a vacuum. Everyone mm-hmm. in the company, including legal needs to have a say, but that needs to include timeliness, not waiting, you know, because it's the middle of the night to call the company's attorney. You should already know what you're what your abilities are in the moment. To- well, that's the beauty of a plan is a right. plan should have holding statements that have already been approved by your legal counsel or your legal representative for your organization. So that way you can comfortably tweet something out or send out an email or post something to the website that you know has already been approved. And right. that buys you time to figure out what your next message is going to be. Right. 100%. So... As the world turns, as I wrote the question, for those old people listening, they'll know that was a 
soap opera. So there's there's some kind of crisis every single day, any you know, at any given place in the world. So that to me, it, you know, it makes it obvious. It's not just around events. It could be around an event, yeah. but we should be thinking of, of the planning that should be done in general, really for any organization to have it. Do you have people or are have any has anyone attended? I mean, I know it's you're focused on a an MPI, right? So that by yeah. nature means it's meeting professionals who are putting on events. But what would you say to that, like to the marketing community at large for how they can really champion doing something like this in their own, own organization that, you know, surrounding everything, not just events? Well, yeah. And it's funny because the first class that I taught, we had someone who, yes, is in the meetings industry, but she was the marketing director for a supplier, a vendor. So she isn't planning her own events. And she sat in and she got just as much out of it as everyone else who were event planners. Here's the thing. There's three things at risk if you don't do it, right? You've got misinformation that can be spread. That's really important because obviously you want to be in control of the messaging. That's a whole thing with marketing is you want to be in control of the message, but also um, customer distress. So there's we used to call it fight or flight, um, but I like to call it now fight or flight to insight because after that fight or flight initial response, the next thing that we as humans are trying to do now is get insight. And the first place studies have been done, the first place people go for information is to what they consider to be the authority on the situation. And that's going to be your social media accounts. That's going to be your company's Twitter account, your company's Facebook, LinkedIn, etc. If they don't find the answers they're looking for, they're going to go elsewhere. They're going to keep searching and they may never get the answers that they're looking for. And that can cause long-term distress if they can never get to insight. So it's almost part of your job to help them get to insight from that initial fight or flight response. So obviously we don't want our customers to have long-term distress. Right. And it's not just events. It's, it's literally every day. You think back to Starbucks. Last year, when they had that situation where the two men were arrested from their store for just sitting there having a meeting, you know, people went to Starbucks social media accounts looking for their response and looking for more information. And when they didn't get it, they went elsewhere, right? And they may have gotten misinformation. So it's, it's not just events. It's literally anything that could potentially happen to your organization or your company. And then the last is obviously, in that situation, your brand. Your brand is at risk. If you don't do crisis communications well, then you could potentially lose customers. You could potentially have your company fold. Companies have folded because they have handled a a crisis situation poorly. It really is an important thing to do. 100%. Yeah. And there's actually communication and healthcare is a vertical. Because obviously, healthcare and hospitals, and there's so much involved with everything that's going on in those buildings, let alone if something, you know, catastrophic happened. And so why wouldn't we have it in every other facet? I mean, granted, we're not, you know, saving gunshot wound victims, you know, in the events world, but we might be. I mean, that's the thing is that you don't know what can happen. Right. It's terrible to say that, but you don't know anymore. Kind of have to be prepared for everything, which takes time. And that's why it's important to do those, you know, matrices and figure out, you know, where does this 
potential issue fall on our risk matrix so that we can be prepared for it. Right. One of the things I learned in my master's, my communication master's program is to do a communication audit. And this is not a piece of that. This wasn't a piece of that. So it's interesting because we were just auditing how on a high level, how that how everyone interacts with each other, how many, how everyone communicates internally, and then how everyone communicates with their members, customers, prospects, partners. But this was not part of it. And I think that would be a really good element to to include. And the idea, to me, the idea of an audit is it helps if it's an outside perspective yeah. or somebody else that's, that's leading the charge because everyone biases, right, on what they think, how they think things are going. And even if you get stats, you know, results that should not carry bias, kind of depends on how you're, how you're auditing, whether you're personally interviewing people, you know, doing surveys, even people who take surveys, right? When you say it, it's totally private, no one will know, dollars to donuts, a lot of people won't want to run the risk on some of that. So auditing what everyone internally thinks their crisis communication plans or perspectives could be would um, would be really nice thing. I work with some of my clients who are just like, I can't facilitate the vulnerability audit. <laughs> we need someone, we need an outside source to come in and do it. And then I have done that for these organizations to help facilitate the creation of this crisis communications plan. Because one, they don't know where to start. But also we're talking about things that some people don't want to admit that it's a potential threat. I mean, one of the categories of crisis is organizational misdeeds. I mean, you're talking about bankruptcy. You're talking about people higher up stealing money. You're, I mean, these are not things that people are going to volunteer as a risk for their organization. Yeah. The whole head in the sand thing. Yeah. Like if I just, you know, ignore it, maybe it won't be a problem. Yeah. So I think what you're doing is super important with this, with this course. And I think it would be great if you offered it maybe not even in a necessarily live environment, but on it and as an online course, something that people can do sort of self-guided, but then could also get like have one-on-ones with you. I think that would be really valuable and get the word out to even more people. Cause not everyone can take six hours in a row to, to take a course in person or, or even online. And you know, how it goes when you're online to have to pay attention for that long. I mean, a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, they're at home. So they're doing like, they're making coffee and they're like, you know, the the retention might not be quite as awesome as it would be if they were able to be self-guided and do an hour here, an hour there and that kind of stuff. And it's it's something I'm working on. You know, obviously my partnership with MPI has a certain, you know, I have to do what they have offered, but you know, I own the content. I'm developing other ways of presenting it as well. So we're working on other online capabilities, online courses. I'm also in the process of writing a book on it. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's something that I'm passionate about and I understand the importance and I don't believe enough people know about it or are talking about it. So for me, it's very personal. For me, any way that I can get this information out there, I'm going to try and get this information out there. Perfect. Well, that half hour went fast, didn't it? Do you have any real quick and maybe, you know, we may end up doing a part two. We'll see if we get some follow up. Any uh, like cool, what's the latest tech gadget kind of app thing you're geeking out on right now? Oh, latest tech gadget app that I'm geeking out on. You know, I'm, I've been using a lot of photo apps and things like that. Try to work with stuff. Um, I'm trying to do more video. So one thing I've been playing with this 
software called Animoto, A-N-I-M-O-T-O. Super, yeah, so super easy make, to edit. They make wave.video. Yeah. So it's, it's the same, that's the same company. And that's actually, that's mine. Like I was able to throw together three separate, like 20 second videos with a picture in between and it fades in and out and I can have like their name scroll across, have the logo. It's, it made, it, it made me look pretty good. I was pretty excited about it. Uh, it, it. You know, and it's it it's pretty intuitive. It wasn't overnight, but I every time I use it, it's like anything else. Every time I use it, I'm it's, I'm getting better and better. Well, and so. it was nice because I was able to edit a video for one of my clients. I was not on site, and they wanted a video to show at the end of the conference. And I was like, "You've been sending me videos and photos over the last three days, so let me edit this together." And yeah, it, it was pretty easy. So I was happy yeah. with that. Well, and they have templates too. So you can use their stuff or you can like plug in other things as well. So very cool. All right. Well, thanks, Alex, once again, for being on Making a Marketer. Thank you to everyone who watched, who listened, who's watching the replay. Uh, We appreciate you so much. Uh, Tell everyone the best way to get a hold of you. You can reach me online, uh, pretty much any social media platform, at a Plaxen, P-L-A-X-E-N. My website is conferenceengagement.com. And if you're interested in the crisis communications course, you can go to mpiweb.org slash crisis to see upcoming dates and places where I'll be presenting it. Perfect. Uh, And the best place to find me is on Twitter at Megan Powers. So thank you. This has been episode 31 of Making a Marketer, and we will catch you next time.